filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. Yes, thank you. I was go- you're nodding, and I was just going to move on without the confirmation, but no. Um, <laughs> well, I was thinking that you and Ben are both wearing yellow shirts, and I must not have gotten the memo. Yep, you pretty didn't. much. Um, we kept we kept it from you. But uh, so, so I'm coming through the door. Someone hits me with their cart because they're looking at their phone and walking forward with a cart. Um, so I get halfway through the store, halfway to the vitamins. Another person hits me with a cart because they're trying to look at the stuff on the walls and not around. Um, they're just walking in, in space without thinking that I'm in a crowded grocery store. I might run into somebody. Um, so I go to the vitamins and they're out of the vitamin that I want. It's all gone. Uh, I ask them. They don't know when it's coming back. They know it will come back someday, but they don't know when. It could be tomorrow. It could be two weeks from now. Um, so then I wandered through the store uh, trying to figure out if I should buy anything else. I impulse bought a big thing of like uh, farm fresh chocolate milk. I went to go check out. Uh, they rang me up and they weren't sure whether the bottle uh, deposit charge, you bring the bottle back, it recycles for $2. They weren't sure if that was incorporated or not. And so that took a phone call and multiple people coming over. Um, and so my quick trip to the store for one item involved me getting hit with two different carts and then like a 10 minute delay uh, so I could receive the one and only item I was purchasing, which was not what I went in to buy in the first place. So what I'm hearing is a pretty usual trip to the grocery store for Jason Anderson. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, I said this on, on Twitter earlier tonight. My, my favorite trait in a human being of all the traits you could possibly have is spatial awareness. Just don't run into people. Um, <laughs> and yet you live in Maryland. It's where, crowded. That's why it's valuable. Yeah, and, and your people don't have spatial awareness. I would argue no one has spatial awareness. If you've been to a Costco or a Sam's Club anywhere in this great nation – uh, you have seen some people that are just they have no awareness of the difference between like 10 feet or like three inches. And so they will smash into you or they'll block the aisle and look at you like, why are you bothering me? Uh, I'm only blocking this aisle. What's wrong with that? The, the further east I have gone in in this country, the the more I have noticed a lack of spatial awareness. So so I don't know if it's something to do with the Atlantic, if it's something to do with I, I don't know what it is, I, but. I will say people on the West Coast are relaxed, which I have a theory is based on the fact that they've got more room. Um, like their Entirely cities possible. are large by comparison, like a, a large space, space-wise city, not population-wise, but the, the footprint of the city is very big. And people don't have the constant rubbing of elbows with everyone else, whereas on the East Coast, we were you know, built before that was thought through uh, by colonials. And you end up with the like densely packed uh, mosh pit of life. Every single day. And we like it that way, I guess. I mean, I moved out here from the Midwest where there's lots of wide open spaces. Anyway, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I'm Adam Taylor. They are Ben Bromley and Jason Anderson. We're all from blackandredunited.com. That's where we write about DC United, the U.S. national teams, and a lot more. Uh, Tonight, we're talking about both of those things. In fact, DC United dropped a result at home. Uh, last Wednesday to Seattle, uh, 2-0 loss to the Sounders, and the U.S. started the Copa America in similar fashion against Colombia, losing 2 to nothing. We're going to talk about both of those things, the latter, with our good buddy Kevin McCauley from SBNation.com. Uh, before we do anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking? I went really simple tonight. I went with a whiskey sour. I haven't had a whiskey sour in a long time, and it just... 
taste. It just felt like it would be summery and good. So how fancy, of- how fancy of a whiskey sour? Did you shake it with an egg white whiskey sh- sour? No. As I was about to say, I was, I was hearkening back to my days in grad school when I had a lot of whiskey sours, uh, when we went out to bars and such. And so it's, a, it's just, it's simple syrup. It's lemon juice. It's bourbon and ice. Okay. Sounds good. Sounds better than what I'm having, which I will get to in a minute. Jason, what are you drinking? Uh, so I've been talking about this for like a week and a half or I don't know, some amount of time. I can't tell time anymore. Um, but I bought this bottle of tequila uh, with a luchador on it. And it's actually a company that uh, – well, I finally tasted it last night. And so today I've started making drinks with it. Um, I wanted to actually try and compare it uh, to other tequilas, see if I have developed much of a palate. I haven't really developed that much of a palate beyond good or bad. Uh, so I've got to work on that. But I made myself – this is – um. The tequila company is called either Rudo Technico or Technico Rudo. Um, apparently in luchador culture, the version of wrestling's face, uh, which is a good guy, and a heel, which is the bad guy, uh, to Technico is a good guy, and a Rudo is a bad guy. Um, I have the their Technico Reposado, uh, but apparently they make each different kind, Blanco, Reposado, and an Añejo, in Technico and Rudo. And I guess the Rudo uh-huh. is the more bold, uh, punch-you-in-the-face flavor. Um, that's what I gather from reading. Um, but I made a margarita with their Technico, um, and it's, it's a pretty good margarita. I'm noticing a little difference from, uh, the other tequilas that I've had, but I'm still not, I'm still learning quite a bit given that I spent all the previous years trying to shun tequila because it was generally bad. Uh, I've finally developed something of a taste for it, but I'm not nearly where I am with some other things. Well, as our listeners know, I have also been shunning a drink, um, namely rum. Yeah, we lost, you jerk. And when I do that, we (laughs) lose. And I said last week that if we lost again after my not drinking rum and somebody bought me some rum, I would drink it. Nobody bought me rum, so I'm not drinking rum. That's true. I flat out put the conditions out there. Nobody bought me rum. Nobody gave me money to buy rum. I know your address. I could eat, I could mail you rum. You could. That wouldn't be legal, but you could. It's legal if I bought it from a online retailer that mails to DC. Yes, you could have it direct shipped, but you couldn't mail it to me yourself. Anyway, pedantry aside, I am drinking something else that has not gone well in my life uh, for a different reason. Just uh, something I don't particularly enjoy, and I figured that would be enough uh, of a penance for my failing to drink rum somehow causing dc united to use and lose and and so i'm drinking something that has never gone well on this podcast before i am drinking a shandy (laughs) oh shit (laughs) it's going to go horribly i'm drinking do you have a backup drink prepared uh, no i don't if i have to if i have to the kitchen is 10 feet that way and i will run in there and and get a shiner box the bar is actually the bar is actually even closer, yeah. so I yeah. can pour. So, pour a, for our for our listeners, on some nights when Adam sets up, you can actually see the bar on the uh, left portion of the frame. Uh, tonight he is like an inch off. You can see the the uh, glasses hanging up, uh, and now he's moving it so we can see uh, some gin. What was that chartreuse? San Germain. Okay, um, but yeah, Adam's bar is with, almost within arm's reach. He's not yes. kidding. So if if this shandy goes as poorly as I think it might, um, in fact, as poorly as every shandy that's ever been had on this show, both of them, has gone, uh, then I will be pouring a backup drink very quickly. Have you tasted it yet? No. If I recall, Sebi Salazar had one sip and then was like, ah, and then got a drink. That is exactly what Sebi did. That's right. (laughs) All right. Cheers, boys. And to all our listeners, I I love you and hate you all. (laughs) Yeah, that's not beer. <laughs> that's still the best reaction one's gotten. Yeah, yeah that's from the, our the show. highest. That's true. The highest praise a shandy's ever gotten on here. What, what, was that a Line and Kugel summer shandy? I it saw? is a Line and Kugel summer shandy, and the best I can say about it is, it is the least objectionable shandy <laughs> in the history of filibuster. So good job, Milwaukee. Good job, Wisconsin. Sorry, it's not not Milwaukee. Chippewa Falls, Wisconsin. Um, I think. Uh, when I when I throw it to you guys, I'm gonna sneak off and grab a different drink, though. 
DC United went into the Copa break on a definite down note, losing to the Seattle Sounders two to nothing. Goals from Jordan Morris and Jovan Jones, both within four minutes of each other late in the second half. Not at all uh, what United fans were looking for, especially when a win would put United pretty high up in what is a really bad Eastern Conference this year. So bad. Um, Even with the loss, United is still in playoff position. But there were some, like I said, the East is really bad. Um, but there, there are some worrying tw- trends to address here. DC United did get 15 shots off in this game, only putting two of them on target. Um, I think that actually doesn't include Kofi Opare's shot that was blocked by uh, Dylan Remick's elbow uh, near the goal line because that will go down as a block rather than on frame. But either way, only... Or as a missed penalty kick. Yeah. Either way, only two shots on frame and two shots blocked. 11 shots off target for DC United. Um, in a lot of ways, this reminded me of the last two games DC United played, uh, both on the road at Philly and at Kansas City. Neither team really created a whole lot. There were moments and a combination of bad buildup, not making the last pass, or at least not connecting on the last pass, and bad finishing uh, kind of did away with a lot of scoring opportunities. In one of those games, DC United found a, a miracle goal. In one of them, they didn't. Uh, and in this game, it, it didn't come. Jason, is this a trend you're worried about uh, as the team goes into the break? I mean, it's a trend we've. I think I've been worried about all year. Um, this isn't really a team with a clear set of goal scorers. Um, Alvaro Saborio, his play, his finishing is usually okay, but his play has been inconsistent. His ability to get into scoring positions has been a problem. Uh, Fabiana Spindola is not, has never really been a very good finisher. Um, and by finishing, I don't mean goal scoring because we've seen a Spindola score from distance and from, you know, odd angles. I mean, traditional goal scoring spots. Um, he's not a sharp finisher inside the box where a number nine generally scores their goals. Uh, Lamar Nagel in Seattle had, you know, was known for being a little bit inconsistent in front of goals. Sometimes he would be brilliant. Sometimes he would be unable to hit the broadside of a barn. Um, Patrick Niarco, uh, when he's been available, his, uh, he's probably going to top his career goal, uh, total or not his career goal total, but his career high in one season, uh, because he only has to score one more goal to tie it. And that's kind of the knock is that he has never been a goal scorer. Um, and this is a team playing a formation that doesn't really allow for anyone to come through the middle as a scoring threat. Um, or I shouldn't say the formation prevents it. It's, it's tactical. It's not the formation's fault. Um, Luciano Acosta, we didn't know coming in how much of a goal threat he would or would not be. Um, Al Haji Kamara, uh, his goal scoring rate over 90 minutes is incredible, but we all know that that is based on the fact that he's played about 15 minutes of time and his, one goal happened, you know, yes, he did something to cause it, but it's also a terrible mistake. So we still don't really know the first thing about whether he can replicate that at MLS, the MLS level or not. Um, but yeah, it, it's it was a problem when the roster was constructed and it's a problem as it is now. Um, I thought that part of the problem against Seattle, it's not so much finishing, is that Seattle really dominated their penalty area um, in the first half United you know, it was one of those games where it feels like you're dominating, but then every time they put the ball in the box, it seemed like Seattle either cleared it or was able to challenge a shooter so much that there was no real chance of it. Even though it's a shot inside the box, um, the shot chart after the game looks pretty decent, uh, all things considered. I think it was like five shots from outside of the 18 and 10 inside. Um, but almost all of those shots inside the 18 were heavily challenged by Seattle. Um I thought Brad Evans had a great game. I actually, um, as a spoiler, I don't know if we've put this out yet, but uh, I voted him as my player of the week in the entire league for that uh, abbreviated uh, fixture list for the week. I think it was six games in the end. Um, So Seattle really won inside their penalty box, even after Zach Scott came out injured and Tony Alfaro, the rookie, came in. They continued that. um, And United wasn't really able to create other threats. A lot of it was just crosses into the box. Um, if you look at where the key passes came from, they're almost entirely on the right. And then there's a smattering on the left and there's one key pass in the central third of the field. If you're looking vertically. Um, and those are 
if you're creating from the center, it means you're creating pretty good chances. The, the shot that comes from a key pass down the middle is usually a shot down the middle. Um, those are better angles to be shooting. And United just doesn't really create many of those chances. And I think if you're already a bad finishing team, you need to at least give yourself real good chances. Um, United takes a lot of shots, but how often do they really create chances like a slew of good chances in a game? They took 15 shots against Seattle, and I don't think back and think, man, they really should have buried that one. There are a couple that were pretty decent half chances, but there was no like, wow, how do we miss that one? What a waste. Um, you you mentioned the penalty kick that wasn't called. That would have been our best goal scoring chance of the entire game. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not good enough um, in a home game against a team that has been bad all year. Uh, that was on short rest. They had played on turf in New England. Uh, they were without Chad Marshall. They were without Clint Dempsey. You've got to find a way to win that game. Uh, quick update on on the drink front. I did get whiskey to replace my shandy, and it is so good. It's Michter's Barrel Strength Rye, which I generally break out on special occasions. And I'm going to say Copa America is a special occasion, but mostly I just wanted something really good to reward myself for trying to drink shandy. Um, so anyway, back to Never drink shandies. Don't yeah. drink shandies. I, never I, shandy. Hashtag. Even, <laughs> even punishing yourself, never shandy. Um, you mentioned Lucho and and Fabi. And I feel like the impression after this game was that they had very different games. Uh, Fabi seemed invisible and Acosta had some bright moments. Um, turns out they both had really similar stat lines from this. Their, their passing numbers are almost identical. Their shooting numbers are almost identical. Um, if anything, Fabi had a little bit more of the ball than Acosta did, but what Acosta did with it was highlight real worthy on a couple of occasions. The, his little flick, um, uh, or series of flicks, uh, mm-hmm. out on, out on the touchline to, to free the ball up and get the ball into the box, uh, for a chance that, that never quite panned out. But, um, but he just did things that, kind of, that were, go ahead. I think all, all three of those, there are three moments that he really, put on a show there was the flick over brad evans's head Mm -hmm. and then the heel flick to keep the ball alive for himself uh there was a moment dribbling where he put eric freeberg on the ground and there was a moment dribbling where he put ozzy alonso on the ground Mm -hmm. all three of those drew a lot of cheers that the evans thing the loud side applauded as if a goal had been scored um people were standing ovation on the quiet side too after that play fizzled out people were delighted with that but the the issue is that each one of those plays was followed by a pass that got picked off by a Seattle player. Um, and every time it was close, the pass was going to its intended recipient and someone from Seattle reached out and got a toe on the ball um, or slid in and got in the way. Um, but I, I guess the, the issue is that, you know, Lucho caught the eye, uh, but mm-hmm. you've got to be able to complete the play. Um, and even if the, you know, you know, Seattle deserves some credit for, uh, making those big blocks. I think Evans finished with like 10 interceptions in this game. Um, and Alonso and Freeberg also had their fair share or more than their fair share, but you've got like as much as, as much fun as those plays were to watch the final ball has got to be there. And at least, but, but I can't, I can't, I don't want to get too, you know, too negative about that side of it with Lucho because he was the only person trying to play those final balls into dangerous spots. A lot of times, Right, Fabi was just kind of being Fabi and wasting chances. It wasn't as bad as it's been. In the last two games, I think, Espindola, it's not so much been that he's destroying attacks single-handedly by just saying, screw you guys, I'm shooting from, you know, 45 yards or whatever. Um, He's just struggled to integrate it. It's almost like it's the other end of the spectrum, where before he was Mm -hmm. too much of a factor and he was taking too much of the weight, and now it's like he's not a factor at all. Um and he's not really well, getting himself both, involved. Both Acosta and Espindola did break down a lot of attacks when they tried to dribble a guy and just it didn't come off. That was right. a, a theme throughout this game, especially in the first half, um, where, where they would try to dribble a defender and couldn't get it done. And, and I think it happened with Fabi a little bit more than it happened with Acosta. But I know there were a couple of times where Acosta just ran into Ozzy Alonso. Right. And he, he put Alonso down the one time, but there were a couple others where Alonso almost had a Dikembe Mutombo moment where he, he didn't wag the finger, but he smirked and shook his head at Acosta. He's like, don't try to make me like that. Which is a little bit much when you've been put on the ground by a guy. 
Yeah. Uh, you, you should not necessarily go super overconfident in a game where that same player has faked you to the ground. Um, but, but that's who, that's who Alonzo is. He's always super confident. Right. And to be fair, I thought Alonzo in the second half dominated the game. Um, mm-hmm. in the first half, I thought United was actually, they weren't necessarily, you know, making him look foolish, but they were getting the better of him. They were actually able to, um, mm-hmm. deal with that, you know, the fact that they've got two good holding midfielders in that area. They were able to deal with it pretty well. Um, in the second half, though, it just became too much of shuttle the ball wide, hit across, shuttle the ball mm-hmm. wide, hit across. Um, well, and that was when United could United get the ball the off the field. Yes. Uh, you know, the, the second half was extremely disappointing um, because or actually there's a lot of reasons it was disappointing. But first and foremost, because the lack of creative ideas and really even the lack of ambition, there wasn't even the platform to be creative. It was just let's just get it wide. Let's guys, let's not even try anything else. Let's just get it wide. And when you're getting it wide to hit crosses on a team that was featuring Acosta and, and Espindola as the forwards to start. It's not. A, I mean, uh, I think I told you guys this. Spindola ended up winning seven headers, uh, which he, sh- he should never have to win seven headers. He's just, he's what five ten and like one hundred and fifty five pounds uh, going in against center backs. It doesn't make any. It's a waste of time. Like it's admirable that he had the fight Even to go Brad win Evans. those headers, but don't don't make him win headers. Don't use him that way. Yeah. Um, so let let's. Let's look ahead a little bit. Going into this two-week break, United is taking a little bit of break. The guy's got, you know, some some shore leave, essentially, to go to to stop training and, and go decompress for a little while. Um, but they'll be back, I think, next week to to start prepping for the, the U.S. Open Cup game. And then the league returns uh, the following weekend. So what do you want to see them working on? during this for I I'll I'll go first on this one. I want to see central midfield be a point of emphasis and and honestly I want to see a change of shape whether that that looks like a 4141 or a 4231. I want to see a three man central midfield come out of this because we we've seen that that the the 442 has kind of not been working even with this more um I guess ball responsible or uh more pass a bull offensive looking central midfield of De Leon and, and Sarvas or, or even Jeffrey and Sarvas. Cause Jeffrey's a decent passer. It, when the other team remembers whoever that other team is, when they remember they have an extra man in midfield, that the game kind of goes to hell for DC United at that point. It happened against Seattle in the second half. Uh, we, we saw it against a lot of other teams this year and, so I'd like to see I'd like to see that first and foremost out of this break. I mean, besides everyone doing finishing drills constantly and forever, uh, I also want to see uh, Taylor Kemp. I'm really impressed with his defensive effort this year, but I want him to see I want him to take a little bit of that time he's been spending on becoming a much better defender and divert a little bit of it back to remembering how to put some good crosses into the box because he's been pretty good defensively this year, but his crosses have taken a fairly big step back. And I want, if if he can figure out that balance and become a good defender and while still being a good crosser, he could be a top five left back in MLS. And it's just finding that. I think he can still do it. It's just finding his way to get there would help United immensely. Uh, I guess my main thing, it goes back to something we already talked about, which is chance creation from the center. Um, and if that means changing formation of, to play Acosta deeper, um, where he's not having to play as a second forward, um, you know, if you play him in a four, two, three, one, he's not necessarily peeling out wide so much. You, you might remember that two of the three highlight moments we talked about happened with him, the Evans thing was out on the wing. Uh, Freeberg was coming in from the left as well. Um, getting him to be in the middle more often would help quite a bit. Um, and I think the fact that Niarco has my, my whole res- reservation about the four, two, three, one was two things. It was lack of a striker uh, that can play at formation, which as long as a spindle is a starter is true. Um, and the other thing was that without Niarco, um, 
or with Niarko's goal scoring history, I wasn't ready to rely on him as a goal threat from the wing. You have to have that in that formation. But you know what? He's he's proven that he can be a goal threat. If anything, he's been one of the more threatening players on the team. Um, so if he can maintain that, I'm not saying he has to step up even. He just has to maintain his level so far, provided he's healthy, of course, because with his concussion history, we don't know how long. He, you know, yeah. he came back from the last one very quickly. Uh, this one, we don't know. Um, and that's the the wild card there. But um, with him, if Rolf comes back um, and Nagel, you've got three guys that can play those wide roles and be a goal scoring threat, not just someone who's out there staying wide. And that's it, because as long as this team doesn't have a obvious an obvious 15 plus goal scorer on the team, then the, the wingers in that formation have to be goal scoring threats. You've got to get those goals some, from someone. Um but I, I would like I would be curious about that. Uh, I think it would give Acosta his most natural position on the field. Um, I think it would also be nice to start seeing a more attacking bent at home. Uh, this game was a perfect example where, without Niarco, the move United made was to play Deleon on the on the right, or actually on the left. Nagel started on the right um, and bring in Jared Jeffrey, which. It makes some sense, but it does leave you with a very conservative lineup um, in terms of player selection. It's not just the formation and the tactics. It's the players on the field. Um, the balance isn't there. It's too safe. Um, and the subs in this game were pretty, you know, we talked about it after the game in our Lot 8 Live video. Um, the subs were pretty aggravating because the one attack-minded midfielder in the game got subbed out first. Um, Acosta got subbed out second for, for Buescher, who isn't really a fit for that second forward role anyway. Um, so even less so than Lucho. Right. Yeah. And so, so we end up with too safe of a team for a game that was zero, zero, uh, for so long. Uh, I think United should have pushed harder to win that game. Um, I know some of that is, some of that is on injuries and absences when you're missing, yeah. Barrio to Costa Rica when you're missing Rolf and Yarko to concussions. But at the same time, Olsen had pieces on the bench that he could right. have started and, in a different form or not a different formation, just a different look right. than, and, than and, he did. If you play that lineup on the road, I don't really have a problem with it because this team needs to grind out on the road. This isn't, this is not a, a group that can go on the road and get into shootouts and come home with three points. Uh, they're not built for it. Um, so if this is the lineup for a trip to Seattle, it's like, yeah, well, that makes perfect sense. They want to um, grind it out and put an emphasis on defensive security and keeping the ball for as long as possible, but not necessarily taking any risks. So be it. But at RFK, for a team that has already been fairly soft at home anyway, uh, I would have liked to see uh, Jeffrey come out of the game earlier. If, yeah. if not even not start. And it's not because Jeffrey is bad. It's he's the wrong player for the situation. Um, he's just too conservative um, on a team that can play uh, Marcelo and De Leon in the midfield. Why not give Miguel Aguilar a shot or Rob Vincent, who scored a really great goal uh, as soon as he got on loan somewhere else, he immediately scored a good goal. And, you know, part of that is that he's able to find those seams at a lower level more easily than he is in MLS. But um I would have liked to see something like that. Um, and I'd also, I'd like to see at home, I'd like to see Buescher coming in in central midfield rather than yep. as a second forward. Absolutely. Um, yes. In a, in a game that's 0-0 zero, zero, where you, you know what, you roll the dice on taking three points and possibly losing the game, so be it. Um, at this point, United has been weak enough at home that draws don't feel like a positive. They feel like two lost points instead of three lost points. Yeah. Um, so I want to yeah, see, especially since you've been, since Olsen has, you know, been turning Sarvas into a Davy Arno clone to play that deeper role, put mm -hmm. in Buescher as the more forward central midfielder, especially when right. you have, when it's Jeffrey that's coming off, that's a, that's a much bigger change. And Acosta, yeah. you know, he was still having moments. He was still running strong in the seventies minute. The, la the last thing that happened to him was, it was him almost creating something, uh, and then he had to come off. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. It was a kind of a broken play where, where Seattle tried to clear. He tackled the ball and, and attempted – I think it was an attempted a shot that didn't go well, but mm -hmm. he was still involved in the game. Um, he was. It wasn't like he was out of gas or anything like that. Um, but in general, this isn't just a game-specific thing. It's a 
Uh, I think United needs to find a way to get Buescher involved earlier and in a number eight role. Um, and yes, that might mean De Leon comes off. Um, I want this team to be good enough where they don't have to start daily, where De Leon is an unquestionable starter. And right now he is. Like, mm-hmm. I, I imagine that if Olsen had to fill his lineup out in order of player that has to be on the field, uh, within the con, you know, the construct of this roster, it's Hamid, Birnbaum, Franklin, and then possibly De Leon and Sarvas, like, as a, as a tie. Um, even ahead of guys like Kemp and Boswell and Acosta and Espindola, um, I think he puts him on that early, and I would like him to be further down that list because that that would mean that DC is a much better team as a result. Mm-hmm. Um, and we or wanted even, this going in the preseason. We wanted to see DeLeon as having to fight for a starting role because that means that the team is that much better. And instead, I don't get the sense that he has to fight for his role in the lineup at all. I mean, it's not that I'm not saying he's been lazy or anything. I just don't get the sense that he's really being pushed very hard for that starting spot. Right. Or even just not having Jared Jeffrey as a clear step up over Miguel Aguilar in certain certain situations. Maybe keep Nick DeLeon in the middle and bring Aguilar in on the wing as a much more attacking option than Nick DeLeon is going to be. And let Aguilar have 60 minutes to see uh, what happens, especially at home where you uh, – and especially against that Seattle team that was so wounded. Just let Aguilar try and create something with Lucho Acosta, with uh, Lamar Nagel, with Fabian Espindola. Give you yourself your best attacking options. Especially in the absence of Niarco. Uh, we've talked about yeah, that exactly. where if Niarco's out and you've only got Acosta, you've got one one threat to dribble past people, generally speaking. Um, if Niarco is not on the field and Aguilar, if there's, if there's one strength in his game, it's dribbling past people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not, I'm not saying he should always start every game that Niarco can't start, but in a home game, uh, against a bad team, I would There's say, yeah, you, you, yeah, you've got to roll the dice on him and give him that shot to prove that, um, he's ready to dribble past people at higher than the CONCACAF Champions League level. Um, and we've seen him put on, a clinic in dribbling uh, occasionally, and sometimes it's not been to the, you know, there was the highlight reel thing from last season in the opener where he dribbled five players from Montreal, but it was all just to keep possession, and that's not really ideal. It was fun, but not good. Um, but I still think that there has to be some some willingness to take that risk at home um, because right now United has had eight home games and they've only got three wins. That's not good enough, and this team isn't going to win enough on the road uh, to overcome that. And like we touched on earlier, Ben said, the reason United's still afloat in the East is because the East is a trash fire. Um, we talked about this off air, but basically Philadelphia is competent to good. I wouldn't even call them outright good. I'd say they're competent, verging on good, and they're the best team in the East. Um, Toronto doesn't know how to play at home. Montreal has been a mess for a while. Um and then there's the rest of the East. And NYCFC is still a playoff team. I mean, have you seen the NYCFC? Um, so yeah, the East is clearly there for the taking. And I want United to push the tempo because winning these home games would do like if, if United wins this game, they're, well, Philly, Philly won the next day. So, but second place in the East. Yeah. They're, they're basically. tied for second. Um, they're four points behind Philly. And what a weird situation where everyone's been so down on DC United all year. And yet they'd be four points out of first place. Um, and yes, you know, that's sort of a mirage. Uh, Philly's been more than four points better than DC United over the course of the season. But, um, you know, if you're inside the locker room, you can look at that and say, like, you know what? None of that, none of the negative stuff that we've heard, none of the complaints about style of play, none of it really matters. We got this far with Bill Hamid playing two games before the the uh, Copa break. Uh, we got this far with you know, Steve Birnbaum not being available for some of that time with Niarco like and Rolf unavailable. It's like getting outshot 12 to nothing in the first half and with, with enforcing being, being forced to make like eight saves in the first half and still getting into the locker room scoreless. Right. And saying, you know what? We got a chance at this guy. We're still, we're still in a good spot. Look at the scoreboard. And instead we're seven points adrift. We're still above the red line. And right. like you but said, it, the garbage fire that is the Eastern conference. It leaves it leaves a bad taste in your mouth because this was a game that United really should have found a way to win. I know Seattle doesn't give up many goals, so I wasn't 
I was not entirely surprised that there was a shutout uh, for Seattle here at zero zero. I felt like was a strong possibility going in, but I, I feel like United just did not do enough in this game and hasn't done enough in a few other home games to make sure they get the three points. Um, when they've been able to score in the first half, they've been very good at managing that situation and turning it into a win. But what happens when that doesn't occur? What if it's zero zero at halftime? What do you do? Um, and I feel like United has been a, far too willing to be safe uh, in those situations rather than say, like, look, if we get a draw at home, that's two points that we didn't get. Um, we need to go after these home games. You know, if they go on the road and it's the most boring game, fine. I, I don't really care. Um, you know, if the, if the fans in New England or Toronto, and I'm sorry to our vocal minority fans, but if United shows up in Toronto and bores the hell out of you guys, so be it. Um, I'll be perfectly happy with that. But at home, you've got to go get a win. You've got to go find that goal. Um, and the pressures and Seattle came in prepared to, for zero zero. They were like, no, that'd be fine. Um, that's something we can build on. And the fact that they were able to make one sub to bring in Jovan Jones and just completely astonish DC United and leave them baffled as to what to do with a guy that's basically a one, one gear speedster, um, is also frustrating, but that's not, that's a, more complicated fix basically yeah not it to seattle's credit i will say that the one problem sean franklin has had this year has been against raw speed he's been good against clever combination he's been good when he's able to get forward but he's been burned just on pure pace a couple of times that'll happen and that's a structural thing too like united knows he can't keep up with the joven joneses or fabian castillos of the world um and I felt like it wasn't just Franklin was unable to deal with it. There was a structural breakdown. Yeah, that's fair. Through United, and no one was prepared for Joven Jones, who, again, you know, a decent player, but is basically a one-trick pony. You know what he's going to do, and United just wasn't ready for it, and they looked panicked uh, faced up with that. It was it was strange to see, you know, they dealt with Andreas Evenschitz, who is a very inventive player, can do a lot of different things. They dealt with the wide variety of problems fairly comfortably, and then they get a person who's only going to do one thing and one thing only. I was like, I, I got no idea what to do now. Um, and that's, both goals come from there. Joven yeah. scored one, and the other one came from his shot, or shot cross thing. Um, I'm not even sure he knew what the hell he was doing there. It's just like, I'm, I'm going to goal! Good luck! And, yeah. uh, you know, it's, uh, it was a very frustrating game, and it's frustrating. It's been yeah. a few days, and I'm back to frustrated again. Yeah, this this game, I think, even though there are some other losses that were worse, this one feels the most like a missed opportunity. Yeah, and that's what's frustrating about it um, is the game was there, and United didn't take it. And on on that uplifting note, we will change gears and talk about a really not frustrating team in the U.S. national team under Jurgen Klinsmann. So this is going to be fun, you guys. Uh, we'll be back with Kevin McCauley from SBNation.com slash soccer. Stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, um, you wouldn't say this is a hostile work environment, would you? You can tell uh- me. Depends. I mean, well, I should ask you. I mean, is our goats hostile? Uh, I think goats are are hostile. I think that they are secretly trying to take over the world. But but if this were a hostile work environment, or if I were trying to steal your wages, or or do something else oh, nefarious in a, I'm really not. Uh, but in a workplace environment, you know who to call, right? Because you live in the District of Columbia or Northern Virginia. I, I do. It's the Ehrlich Law Office. It is the Ehrlich Law Office. Uh, they they offer discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions in Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia, which means I can totally create a hostile work environment for Jason. Except, no, he, they, they wouldn't want me to say that. That would be bad. I do not want to create a hostile work environment for anyone. But Jason couldn't call them nonetheless because he lives in Maryland. Sorry, Jason. I'll fight my way through this. All right. <laughs> Uh, they handle workplace discrimination, wage theft, uh, non-compete clauses, and uh, non-solicitation litigation. They handle civil rights and government takings and disability and education law. They handle a lot of things. And if you are interested in a free consultation, head to ehrlichlawoffice.com slash filibuster. 
Welcome back to Filibuster. We are now joined by our good friend Kevin McCauley from SBNation.com. He runs their soccer product, and he's here to talk with us about Copa America Centenario, the event that has literally some people talking. <laughs> and and that's really the the most I can I can say about this tournament at this point. Not a lot of compelling soccer, not a lot of big crowds outside of the the uh, Mexico game. And yeah, I guess let's start with USA um, because we are nominally uh, fans of the US, even if some managers associated with the the program are trying to fix that. Uh, they lost two to nothing to Colombia after running out probably the most sane lineup we could have hoped for from Jurgen Klinsmann. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I wasn't surprised by anything that he that he did. I think really the starting 11 that he put out there is uh, what everyone expected. Not necessarily what everyone wanted, but it was uh, reasonable and defensible and featured no surprises at least. Which is rare for a Klinsman lineup. Yeah, I mean, there's still plenty of criticisms to be made, but it was it was certainly an improvement. Let's make those criticisms, Kevin. Sure, let's do it. <laughs> oh, I'm assuming you want me to make those criticisms. Well, I mean, um, I can, I can, I can start us off putting putting Clint Dempsey in, at, at center forward oh, yeah. for one. Yeah, I don't, I don't really dig Clint Dempsey as the uh, as the highest guy up the pitch as a uh, you know number nine without a strike partner. Uh, I think he's, I think you can play Clint Dempsey as a ten. I think you play him on the wing. I think you play him as a second striker, but in that particular role, he's he is not great. What's funny is there is a guy who's scoring goals for fun in Germany right now who is playing out on the left wing to start that game. Yeah, and it seems like a really, really obvious thing, right? That you just, if you just swap them, um, that the team would probably function quite a bit better. Jurgen Klinsmann, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so what went wrong with that game? I, I know there wasn't a lot of forward punch, but the U.S. also gave up two goals at the other end of the field. Yeah, well, if you give up an early set-piece goal like they did, uh, that's going to that's gonna cause a lot of problems, um, especially for a team like Colombia that's pretty good at playing on the counter and really and really likes playing on the counter. You know, they're not, a, they're not a defensive, negative team, but they're the kind of team where if they get an early goal, they're going to get into their two banks of four, uh, sit back and try to hit you on the break. And that's exactly what they did. So was it a penalty? Uh, yeah, I think it was a penalty. And I can understand both points of view here. And I think it would have been hard to criticize the referee if he hadn't called it a penalty. But uh, at the end of the day, yeah, I think it was a penalty. Uh, Kevin, I guess my, my focus now that we've, we've addressed the Bobby Wood and Clint Dempsey should swap positions thing, um, is really in the midfield. Um, we saw Klinsman kind of go towards something that makes more sense with Bradley playing as a six, um, with, uh, Jones and Bedoya playing ahead of him. Uh, do you think that those guys deserve to start all the time or should they have just started this one game because it's such a tough game, um, over someone like Darlington Nagby, who is, arguably the better player, but less experienced at this level. I'd certainly like to see more of Darlington Nagby. And I think, I think everybody, everybody does. Um, and I get the desire to start Jermaine Jones in a game like this, especially because Jones has been in such, you know, great form in MLS yeah. since he started playing. But uh, in that game in particular, I think Jones has probably brought the least to the table of the three midfielders, which is not to excuse Michael Bradley because Michael Bradley did not have a good game at all, but you could see what he brought to the table, right? Even though he wasn't, he wasn't executing. You could see mm. what the point of Michael Bradley was and what he was trying to do and what Klinsman wanted him to do. Um, it, you know, I couldn't get the same thing with Jermaine Jones in that game. You know, was he supposed to be breaking up play? Was he supposed to be carrying the ball up? Was he supposed to be, playmaking was he supposed to be keeping the ball i don't really know what he was supposed to do in that game maybe it was a little bit of everything uh and if it was he he failed at that i thought um so i think it's definitely time to give nagby a shot i don't know if that's at the expense of jones or at the expense of bedoya um but neither of them played well and neither of them brought what nagby does which is a ball retention and be kind of 
moving things forward and kind of creative combination play, which uh, is definitely going to be needed against Costa Rica. Yeah, I think one of the great things about Nagby is that he doesn't just keep the ball at a very high rate. He actually does it while moving your team forward. Um, there's a, I guess, the best parallel for, for DC fans. We talk about Nick DeLeon in the middle, and the knock is that he doesn't play forward enough. He keeps the ball very well, but you don't move forward uh, as often as you should. Nagby is the sort of the goal there is to be pulling that off, hitting those percent, those same pass accuracy percentages, but playing uh, a little more uh, vertical, uh, not in a long ball way, but, you know, moving the ball up the field. Um, I guess well, my other, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. In, the, in the case of DeLeon, I think he probably, regardless of what position he plays, probably does what Benelson asked him to do. Yes, that's true too. Um, definitely a less, a less attack minded version of um, that role. Uh, then compared to what Portland wants out of Nagby. Yeah. Um, but I guess my other question, the other thing that irritates me the most is uh, how much, how upset are you seeing a team that has to play Fabian Johnson at left back because they didn't call in uh, Jorge Villafania um, despite, you know, kind of a sad, uh, everyone else in the left back pool is kind of, it's like, no, that's not good. Um, and Villafania starts for Santos Laguna and yet he is ignored. Yeah, it's really unfortunate that Viafania didn't make the team. Um, I certainly, and you know, unless there's some weird behind-the-scenes issues that we don't know about, and I've never heard anything like that about Viafania, uh, he should definitely be in the 23. Uh, whether or not he should be in the in the starting 11, I'm I'm not really sure because um, there's there's a couple schools of thought here. One of them is Fabian Johnson is your best player, therefore you should play him in his favorite position and kind of build the team around him which is a position I totally understand. But at the same time, um, Villafania hasn't played left back with the national team at all. Uh, to some extent, that's Klinsman's fault. He probably should have got uh, a few a few runouts in the friendlies and maybe even World Cup qualifiers between the end of last MLS season and now. Uh, and if he had, this wouldn't be a problem. But I'm, I'm not sure that a starting 11 with Villafania at left back and Fabian Johnson in the midfield is necessarily better than the one we have now. I'd like to think it is, but I I don't think that we could say conclusively that that's a that that's a better idea and that Viafania would be a great fit in the team. I mean, but ultimately, it's on Klinsman that we that yeah. we don't know yet yeah. because it should have been tried out at least once by now. I, I think you're right that we are unable. We can't verify that. I'm just willing to believe it on faith uh, <laughs> and the desire for it to be true. Um, this is a known unknown. Yeah, well, you know, gonna, we wanted to. We also wanted to believe on faith that, like Michael Bradley at the six with a couple of runners in front of him, fixed a lot of problems, mm. and it should have, uh, but it didn't because Bradley was bad. Um, and, and Columbia did a good job with Bradley too. Well, of um, course, I'm not going to discredit Columbia. They, you know, they played pretty well. Um, not as what? not as well as I thought they would, but yeah. they played they played well enough. Well, and for some reason, Jurgen hasn't let all of these players get used to their new positions. He throws them in two games before the Copa starts and instead of giving them a year or even a couple of games beforehand to well, in the case of, plan yeah, in those the, positions. In the case of Bradley, he didn't even get a couple of games because in the first half of the Ecuador game, he played yeah, he in, the, a game and a half. in the more advanced role. Yeah. Uh, basically, this whole thing came about because he tried something in the second half and it worked really well. And he was like, well, okay, this, let's let's try it again, and then it, it worked. just happened to be the thing everyone has been calling for for two years. Yeah, and it makes it look like oh, this is a plan. Like no, he, he tried something and it worked, so he stuck with it. And uh, I, it, you know, it really feels like he happened upon it by chance. Let's talk about so, what's next for. Oh, go ahead, Ben. Oh, I was just going to have one more question about the other fullback, uh, DeAndre Yedlin. Also had a fairly bad game. Do you think it's just a one-off that he kind of regressed to his pre-Sunderland form, or do you think this is how he plays for the national team? Well, I think there's there's a few factors here. Like, first of all, I think the midfield and Zardes in front of him gave the ball away a lot and put him under a lot of pressure, um, which, <laughs> which really doesn't help. Uh, yeah. The other thing is that Colombia is a really good team. Uh, they're a better team than Costa Rica. They're a better team than Ecuador and Bolivia and Paraguay. And I think that, you know, coming to the conclusion that Yedlin has gone backwards or isn't a good enough defender to be first choice 
on the basis of a game against a good opponent where the midfield in front of him was very poor would be unfair to Yedlin. That sounds reasonable. So let's look ahead to the next game. Costa Rica is up for the U.S. They had, you know, a typical Costa Rica game, if you want to think of it that way, a scoreless draw in their, their opener. Is there any way United that the U.S. opens them up? It's well, yeah, I think there is a way. And I think the reason is because that first game between Costa Rica and Paraguay was a scoreless draw. Um, had Costa Rica won that game, they would come to these, this U.S. game thinking, we're going to put 10 men behind the ball and we're not going to let them get anything and we're going to try to get a nil-nil draw out of this. Um, but they can't really afford to do that. If Costa Rica wants to advance in this tournament, they have to win this game. So I don't think we're going to see them with like the true back five and the true defensive midfielders in front of that back five and everybody packed behind the ball. Uh, I, I think they are going to open up a bit. And I think that we saw Paraguay, you know, really did open them, them up a bit in that first game, um, especially because Teada, their defensive midfielder, got a yellow card one minute in the match. Um, that was just kind of a weird game because it was so, like, oppressively hot. And you could tell that, like, as the game went on, everybody wore down and nobody really had the energy to attack. Uh, this is going to be a, a different situation. It's not going to be as hot. It's, you know probably going to be uh, dark out by the, at least by the time the game ends uh, certainly not the start of the game but uh, I think that they're for, really for those reasons because the weather's going to be different so it's not going to be such a slog and because Costa Rica really does need to win that there's a good chance that it could be an open game one of the rare ones in this tournament yeah well <laughs> uh, as, as we're recording this it's right after the uh, Bolivia Panama game which was, uh, I think, even better than the, the Mexico-Uruguay game. It was a really, really fun game. Which so is funny because everyone was, everyone was really negative about that game going in, just based on the fact that it's Panama versus Bolivia. Mm-hmm. Well, in that it was like such an obvious undercard before Argentina-Chile. Yeah. But it turned out to be a really, really good game. Uh, and I'm hoping that that means we're kind of trending in the right direction. Right. I hope America's going to get fun now. <laughs> we, we can hope so because this... You know, it hasn't been a great tournament so far. Um, the first five games before Mexico-Uruguay were all poor. Yeah. 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 And a lot of them were poorly attended, including the one you were just talking about. There, The pictures from uh, the Bolivia-Panama game showed a lot of empty seats in a very large stadium. Yeah. Well, in the in the defense of both of those teams and the tournament organizers, there's a tropical storm rolling through. The weather okay. there was atrocious. Okay. Um, yeah. But at the same time, the cheap seats are 80 bucks. Yeah. That's a problem for Bolivia versus Panama, which is absolutely ridiculous. You know, where everybody's talking about these the attendance problems, how sparse it's been at basically every game, but the Mexico game. You know, even the U.S. game didn't sell out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's because they're selling these lower level games uh, at the same prices as they're selling the big games. Uh, if if Haiti versus Peru or Panama versus Bolivia had you know thirty dollar cheap seats, fifty dollar you know middle of the road seats, they'd be sold out. Absolutely. Yeah, unfortunately they they didn't get that, but maybe they'll they'll figure it out next time there's a combined Copa America in the US, which it sounds like may happen. The next time CONCACAF and Comi Bowl organize a tournament together? Yeah, you know, which they you always know, goes so well. Yeah, you know, corruption fueled money grabs have a long proud history and so. Yeah, hopefully next time this happens a bunch of people don't have to go to jail for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, dare to dream, Kevin. Um, what else do you guys want to talk about with this tournament? Um, I mean, is there any, is there any hope of Mexico not ending up winning it? I feel like they're going to end up winning it. The I, only would be, thing, I would be very surprised if they didn't make the final. Yeah. The, the only thing that's holding me back from definitely saying they're going to win it is just that, uh, Mexico does occasionally have that weird, dumb implosion that you can't really explain. It's just like, wow, they all decided to play really bad on one night at the same time, like right at the moment it looked like they were peaking. Well, and they um, certainly tried to do that for about 30 minutes last night. Yeah. Yeah. They were, they, um, when they went up a man, uh, was probably their worst 30 minutes of the game was, yeah, there was the, after the red card. It was the dumbest thing about that game is that for the 65 minutes that Mexico was even, they were by far the superior team. Wasn't even close. And for the 25 minutes that they were up a man, they were atrocious. 
And it wasn't like Uruguay was super organized as uh, a group of 10. It was like Mexico was like, well, we yeah, got this. Dumb turnovers. Um, and they got real, real sloppy real quick. Um, yeah, the, the turnovers were, were unbelievable. Um, and it wasn't even, you know, it's not like it was even that young of a team. Right. Uh, you know, most of the guys, there were some younger guys out there, it was, you know, but it was mostly like 23 to 25 year olds, guys with, you know, 20, 30 caps, not, yeah. you know, not like real young players. And, and the heart of the midfield there is a uh, 57 year old Rafa Marquez who should be able to <laughs> control his team and calm <laughs> them down. And, you know, as a, just purely as a captain, he really failed right. in that regard. I, but not for the first time, uh, <laughs> he failed as a captain, but you know, on the other hand, he did turn up with, uh, you know, a pretty great finish. Uh, it's a fantastic finish. Yeah. Um, which is, is one of those things with Rafa Marquez is that as much as he does so many stupid things over the year, he also is incredibly good at playing soccer. It well, yeah, in, the, in the first 45 minutes, he controlled the game. He was brilliant yeah. in midfield. Uh, it was so weird that he couldn't keep control of the game, uh, especially three, not only, uh, 11 on 10, but three versus two in the center that he couldn't yeah. keep control of the game. Mm-hmm. Ridiculous. But uh, they won, they got it together, and uh, I think they're probably going to the final. Well, how much are they going to miss Andres Guardado? I mean, I know it's only Jamaica that they're playing next, and, but he's going to be out for that, and he's he's a big deal for them. Well, it's I mean, it's certainly lucky for them that this ha- something like this happened now as opposed to mm-hmm. later in the tournament. Um, I think they are going to miss him, but I think what they're going to... So they can they can go uh, one of a couple different ways, and they're they're lucky that they have a couple good and different options in the center of midfield. If they want a guy who's just an attacking playmaker, if they don't necessarily respect Jamaica and they think they just want to get some creativity in there and try to beat the crap out of them, uh, Carlos Pena is a, is a great uh, guy to bring off the bench into that role. And if they want to be a little bit more conservative, if they think grinding out a one nil and controlling the midfield is a better option, then they've got Duenas too. Uh, so even though I think Guardado might be their best player, uh, I also think it's probably not going to affect them that much, especially because if they try one of those options and it doesn't work out, they can just go to the other one. Plus Jamaica looks terrible right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Jamaica was awful. Yeah. I was so surprised. Um, I really thought they were going to be one of the surprise teams of the tournament and they're going to get out of their group, but then West Morgan decided to get trashed in Thailand for a week, couldn't start the game. (laughs) Um, And even though Jamaica's got decent central midfielders, they decide to start a crappy center back at central midfield, Michael Hector. He's just an absolute nightmare. Um, I was, I was stunned at their, their incompetence. The thing is even like, like Rudolph Alston, who I think would be excellent in the MLS ended up losing his mind. um, Yeah. Getting himself sent off. And he should be like in those circumstances with that depleted lineup, he should be taking on more responsibility and instead was a huge culprit for what went wrong for them. Yeah, with the guy playing, uh, I don't think it's his first game in central midfield, but I can't imagine Michael no. Hector has, uh, he's got to have less than 10 pro games at central midfield between Jamaica and Reading. Uh, and then no Morgan behind him. Yeah, Austin's got to be the leader. Uh, yeah. So that was really, really disappointing. Hey, and really, if you're going to have any aspirations in this tournament, you cannot lose to Venezuela. No, Venezuela is the bottom team in Cumbable qualifying right now. Right. And they've been, you know, not that we'll, we'll ever know for sure, and none of them have ever said it, but uh, seemingly affected by the, you know, political and social situation in that country right now. Mm-hmm. Um, they really, really should not have lost that game. All right, so... Let's go back to the U.S. Two games left. Both, this one especially is probably a must-win. Uh, will Jurgen Klinsmann find his way out of the group again? I don't think so. Um, and I think they're going to do fine against Costa Rica. I think they're probably even going to do enough to win. But I think the game against Paraguay is going to be uh, a real nasty nil-nil slog and... Uh, they're going to go out because of it. All right. Kevin, thanks for coming on the show, man. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. All right. Why don't you tell our listeners where they can find you online, the, the few of them who aren't already following you. <laughs> uh, so if you go to svnation.com slash soccer, you can find uh, 
the main soccer section where we not only write our own stuff, but share a lot of stuff from the, the team blogs around SB Nation. Uh, you can follow us at SB Nation Soccer on Twitter for everything. And I am at Kevin McCauley. All right, guys, find us at blackandredunited.com. Find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu for the podcast at blackandredu for the website. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send your voice recordings there too, and we'll play them. We, we still haven't gotten any. I'm disappointed in you guys. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. Find us on SoundCloud. Mostly though, tell a friend about the show next time you're at the bar watching the game. For Jason and Ben, and thank you again, Kevin. I'm Adam. We'll talk to you real soon. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.